Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about a little bit of an update from the census ongoing uh, controversy. Independent Women's Forum Carrie Lucas President joins me to talk about progressive privilege. And then we'll talk about progressive privilege, uh, the teachers unions, Teen Vogue, Starbucks, a few other stories. And finally, progressive privilege even hits WordPress. And finally, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. If you listened to the show yesterday, you know I gave a rather extensive discussion relating to the desire of the Trump administration to place onto the census a question relating to citizenship. Quite a few developments. We had the Supreme Court ruling, and then we had uh, we talked yesterday about the ongoing effort within the Trump administration to try to include that question. And the particular issue that I touched on yesterday, I want to fill out today and tell you what happened. So after yesterday's show, or I guess during the show, there was a hearing in which the uh, federal court judge, an Obama-appointed federal court judge, made a ruling on the motion of the Department of Justice about whether they, the DOJ, could switch attorneys within the Department of Justice from one set of attorneys to another set of attorneys. It did require a motion to be filed, and the uh, plaintiffs in this case, the people who don't want the question on the census related to citizenship, oppose the Department of Justice effort to have that, to be able to make a change with, about the attorneys inside the DOJ representing the government on the census question. The Obama court appointed judge ruled yesterday against the government, against DOJ, saying they could not change attorneys. To be precise, he said the DOJ had not provided sufficient uh, justification or reason for why the new attorneys should be, why the DOJ should be permitted to appoint uh, new attorneys. I want to, so that is where the legal, it stands legally. I want to mention a couple other quick things about it. Uh, one, Attorney General Barr did tell the Associated Press that he had learned from a top DOJ civil attorney who was leading the litigation effort related to the census question uh, that multiple people on the team, the lawyers on the legal team, preferred not to continue. So Barr is saying he's going to switch from one set of lawyers to the other. Court says no. And in addition, the judge, and again, this Obama-appointed judge, Jesse Furman, said that he didn't foreclose the, uh, the possibility that the DOJ could make another motion. But he basically said the new attorneys would have to each, uh, the ones be, uh, who are going to be relieved of their obligation in this case, they would have to file and sign a, an individual declaration relating to why they wanted to be off the case. And then the new attorneys to be brought on in their place would also each have to file an individual statement with the court saying, that they would guarantee essentially that their presence or newly joined the team would not delay the litigation. Um, and so this is a this is a judge coming down very hard on the Department of Justice. Uh, really seems to be part of the effort to just foreclose every possibility of the Department of Justice getting their uh, getting this question onto the census. I shared the, this with you yesterday. I'll say it again today. I don't think this is my surmise. No one has told me this. This, I don't think that Attorney General Barr is necessarily only acting because he thinks the present attorneys on the case 
uh, are tired of it, don't want to do it, tired of the battle. I think he senses they're not with the program. I think he senses that they're not really on the side of the effort to fight for the effort to get that question onto the census. And he's looking for attorneys who will be engaged in the fight. One last note on this uh, today's first five on this question related to the census is that there was a statement put out by Nancy Pelosi uh, just um, a couple days ago essentially saying that the reason President Trump wants to put a citizenship question on the census is because he it's racism. She points to racism. He's trying to make uh, make America white again. Just an ugly, nasty thing to say. So I'll make two points in response to her ridiculous assertion. Number one, citizenship is not racial. There's nothing about the characterization of someone being a citizen or not a citizen that is racial. It's not a racial category. It's just a question of your legal status. So it's not even racial to start with. But the other thing is so interesting. I mentioned yesterday the polling done related to what, how the American people think about it. America wants this question on the, on the census. Even a slim majority of Democrats want this citizenship question on the census. Many Republicans and overall voters. But 55 percent of Hispanic voters in America support putting the question on the census related to citizenship. It's not racial, Speaker Pelosi. It is a question of having a clear idea of how many people living in our, inside our precious country are citizens or how many are not citizens, which is what I really think this whole battle is all about. The American left is not at all interested in having the American people realize what number of people are living in this country with no legal right to be here. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. We're going to turn now and talk to our guest who's joining us. Uh, I believe we actually have her on a, our assistant. We'll see her in a moment, but I'll just start by introducing her. Her name is Carrie Lucas. Uh, she has been on the show, I think, once before, and uh, she is the president of the Independent Women's Forum, a fabulous organization. I'll let her tell you a little bit more about it. Independent Women's Forum is just a great group that speaks up for the conservative side on issues for women. They have fabulous research and papers and presentations. Um, she's also the author of a new book coming out calling, called Checking Progressive Privilege. And Independent Women's Forum also recently did a Prager video. So we're going to hit those three things with Carrie Lucas. I believe we have her online. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. So glad to have you. Welcome to America Can We Talk. So if you could, I'd love to have you. I love your organization. Could you just take like a minute and tell our listeners about Independent Women's Forum, what they're all about? Sure. Well, I really appreciated your description of us. Um, we are a group of independent women um, who believe in greater freedom and want to defend America, the constitutional system, um, and really bring a diverse um, point of view. Uh, so much of the media makes it seem as though um, leftist groups all speak for women. And we know that's not true, that there's a lot of women out there who support a different different view of government and a different idea of what of, um, of freedom and what opportunity is supposed to mean. So we speak up for women who share these beliefs. Love that. I have a great website. I'll tell my listeners, I mentioned it numerous times, but IWF.org. Full of research, uh, well-reasoned well arguments. It's, it's fabulous. So I'm going to jump right in, though, and talk about your Prager video. Um, the Prager videos are you know, become famous in part because there is some effort to censor some of them, but Prager videos are short little, you know, I don't know what the maximum length is, eight or ten minutes, but short little videos 
usually featuring a someone who is a prominent, articulate, and laying forth a conservative view. I want to play just one little segment from the IWF Prager video. It happens actually um, to feature Heather Higgins, who is uh, the she's the CEO, I think, of IWF. And then we have Carrie Lucas. I'm ask you some questions about. It. I want to play one little segment of what uh, Heather had to say in the Prager video. We hear a lot about the Year of the Woman, the Women's March, and the war against women. But if the major media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, CBS, and others were more interested in accuracy than advocacy, it would be that they are promoting the Year of the Leftist Woman or the Leftist Women's March. The major media like to pretend that all women think alike and that conservative women are just the exception that proves the rule. But according to a 2018 Pew Research study, about a third of women are Democrats, a little less than a third are Republican, and a little more than a third are independents. So if there are all these conservative women around, how does the media make it seem like they barely exist? They use three strategies. And that's what I want to turn to. I cut it off there because I want to turn back to Carrie Lucas, uh, who is with us um, on screen. It was a great video, great Prager video. And uh, Heather Higgins went through the, the ways in which the media tries to portray the impression that American women pretty much are leftist, pretty much buy into left wing viewpoint. So uh, first, a general question. How does that hurt anything? What difference does it make, if, as, how you see things, Carrie, that the media tends to portray women as mostly leftist? You know, I think it's 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 one of those things that conservatives have long talked about this idea of a liberal media bias, but we kind of were dismissed by it, or it was this idea that we were almost whining about it. But I think that increasingly people are starting to recognize that this kind of of, um, of, of marginalization of conservatives and this um, almost the demonization in many, many ways, it has lasting impacts and it's not just harming conservatives, it's harming everybody. It's making our pol politics much worse. I mean, to, to start with, when you think about um, women out there, especially young women who are just kind of newly coming into being um, aware of political topics, if they do have some conservative instincts, I think this lack of presentation of conservatives or this idea that, that oh, every Everybody who's normal, everybody who's who's cool, <laughs> um, is on the left. It makes it much less likely that those women are going to want to participate and um, and speak out or get involved. That is so true. And you know, I've made this point before about how, you know, if you're not paying attention to politics much and you see women portrayed that way, you, you can actually begin to doubt your own thinking. You're thinking, well, gee, maybe they know something I don't because look at all these women. Supposedly everyone thinks X. Why do I think Y? And it caused you to doubt yourself. Do you think that's true? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and it's it's funny because I think um, you think about last year, and there was all this discussion about what a great year it was for women running for office. And then if you look at it, they would say, oh, but it's you know, it's just women on the left. Um, but as if and um, and and it was. It's disappointing. You look at the number of, of of female Republicans who have run for office and are in elected office now, and it's it's very few. Well, you scratch down a little bit and say, well, why is that? Why is it that there are so many fewer um, women who are on the conservative side who are who are running for office? And one reason is clearly that they're they're treated so poorly in the press. Um, you look at how the press is just absolutely vicious against women who've been serving in the Trump administration. Um, you know, they're they're denigrated on TV. The people are constantly making fun of them. Women who run for Congress or and put in leadership positions um, in the Senate or, or in, in Congress, 
it's very much considered it's brushed off as window dressing it's not deserved you're just a token um, women conservative women are treated terribly so it's really no wonder that there are fewer conservative women who want to get involved and we all know you know I don't yeah I don't I, I kind of do reject this old idea of tokenism where we um, you know, need to have women representing us I don't believe that's true but I want good people and there's a lot of good women out there who should be getting involved so this harms everybody if, if and if the media is honest if they actually want more women to be in elected positions and to be more participatory then they need to start treating conservative women more fairly I, I could not agree more. I love what you're saying. I want to go through very quickly the three strategies, at least in your Prager video, that Heather Higgins, yeah. we just saw her, she talked about three strategies that the, the left uses is this mindset of the progressives use to, to marginalize conservative women. One was, she said, the word omission, just ignore, don't report. And it was a great example because everyone, so many people point this out, but, you know, glossy magazines, glamour magazine recognized uh, 200 in the 2018 women of the year and of the uh political people involved in that 11 democrats and zero republicans it could make yeah. you think they don't even exist there aren't even any conservative women out there or republican women that that, I, that was astonishing i'm glad she gave those numbers yeah oh absolutely and it's, it's it really is interesting if you look at all of the stories that were coming out around the election um you would see featured pictures of, of all these women on the left and you would never see the story of someone like marcia blackburn who was the first A female um, senator from tennessee you know but she's eh, you know she doesn't she doesn't ever ever make the news Absolutely true. And you alluded to this, but the, the second uh, strategy that Heather mentioned in the Prager video is omission, mocking, and labeling. But the mocking thing, I am just astonished that leftists get away with this as much as they do. They mock Sarah Sanders' appearance. They mock Kelly, Kellyanne Conway's hair, just all sorts of things. And mostly that is pretty taboo in politics to, to, to focus on appearance. It's, you know, it's shallow. It's meaningless. But to focus on women's appearance is especially mean-spirited. But Heather was right the left just just takes off after those two and others all the time and I mean, aren't you a little bit astonished they get away with that Oh, absolutely. I do think it's it's one of those, and I'm hopeful, this is the kind of thing I think if we can talk about it more, I think that there are people, honest people on the left, who would say, you know what, that is, that's that's really not appropriate. You can, um, you know, obviously we want women to be, uh, be um, held to a high standard and their performance discussed, but the way that they have just been so vicious, and you know, you're right, that, that some of the the people, they obviously have a particular loathing for people associated with, with um, President Trump, but it also happens to women who are serving in Congress, members of Congress who are um, belittled. You think about the, the treatment of Sarah Palin and Mia Love. Like there's a, there's a lot of times that they're just dismissed in ways that um, you would never see happen to the left. And it's really just not fair. It isn't fair, and it really isn't fair, not just to those women, but to other conservative women, and really to the whole political process. We say we love robust debate, and everyone involved, we're going to have conversations, but the, really the very subtle mockery, uh, it can make a lot of women think, I'm not doing that. Third one she said that you, uh, uh, we were talking about is labeling, and you, I, I was so glad Heather made reference to this one example, because I would noticed it too, but this uh, stereotyping women who are outspoken as conservative uh, or vote. Uh, for President Trump. It was Barbara Streisand who made some comment about, well, these women voting for President Trump, they just probably do what their husbands told them to do. It's so oh. insulting. It's like we don't have an, have an intellect and think for ourselves. 
it's it's funny because it's trafficking like in the worst stereotypes about yep. women um you know and i think as someone who you know has spent um, almost two decades now working in the conservative movement you often hear things as a as a conservative female that says oh you know you're self-hating you must be yes. a racist and a, a misogynist um and you know and it's really it's one of those things that obviously some of us who are strong in our beliefs are ready to fight and so kind of fight back on that but a lot of women out there who, um, again, who um, haven't been as involved or just getting started in politics, God, that stuff will make you want to leave. Why? Who needs it? Who would want to to be face those kinds of, of um, attacks? A lot of good women, women who want to get involved in politics, say, "I don't want to have somebody um, called the have called a racist. I don't want to be called these these names or labeled in those ways." So it's really meant to silence women. Um, and. The only thing, you know, this is why we have got to talk about this, encourage other other women out there to say it's OK to come forward. You should be you're proud of your beliefs and willing to speak your mind. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, you know, we shouldn't have to say that, but but it's needed. It's really needed out there. It sure is. And uh, closing out this little portion of our discussion related to the uh, video that is, again, a Prager video. You can find it at IWF.org. It's also on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. On the homepage, under shows, go down, list of links. I put a link up there. I'm going to also post it on our Facebook page later. I urge you to listen to it because I think what you'll do when you listen to it is you'll start to realize some things that you read or even going forward you realize You'll, you'll catch things more, realize, wow, that's not really fair what they just did. You'll, you'll, you'll catch what the media is doing. And it's really important, and I think it's one way to make them stop, is to have it called out. But Carrie, Lucas, I want to turn to your next book. You have a new book out, uh, or I, I, I think I have maybe a little bit of an advanced copy. It's out July 23rd, but it's called Checking Progressive Privilege. And first, let me commend you on your writing. It's really, really clear, which is extremely valuable yeah. when you're talking about politics. It's very, very good. But on the subject of progressive privilege, I love the idea of lining up this, it segues well from the Prager video, lining up our understanding of how conservative values are, are demeaned, diminished, mocked in our society. And you do it well by saying, look at what we've come to recognize with respect to white privilege and, and other ways that the left is agreeing these forms of privilege exist and saying, yeah, actually, it's the same thing with progressive privilege. Would you kind of just talk about that, like yeah. what your point is? Yeah, you know, and I, I really enjoyed looking back because this whole concept of privilege, I think, has become um, it's today we, we almost I think that a lot of conservatives say, you know, gosh, this is silly and trumped up. But if you looked back, I looked back at some of the history and the, kind of the whole modern discussion of progressive privilege began in the late 1980s when a woman, uh, someone who was a women's studies professor, began writing about her experience and wanted to talk about how women were being um, uh, marginalized. But then in the process of this, she realized that as a, as a white person, all of the privileges she enjoyed as a white person. And I, it was rather eye-opening because it shows how much progress we've made in the last 30 years. A lot of the things that she cited, the idea that there's very few, a few um, there was a few black um, characters on television or when you open a newspaper or saw a magazine, it was all white faces. There was um, a nobody who, um, of, of no color, people of color who are represented um, on, on those in textbooks. Um, and today, obviously, that's very different. Um, and that's wonderful progress. It's the, it's um, You look at kind of the, this awakening to the idea that, of course, we need to show you know, different representations of, um, you know, not all doctors are white men. And we now would think that would be ridiculous today if, if, you, if um, a doctor show only had white guys on there. Um, but 30 years ago, that was something that, um, that really was a problem and was creating um, burdens for people or um, changing 
changing our perceptions of what's normal and who is yep. good. Um, yeah, and so anyway, so as I kind of studied this, I thought, well, wow, this is exactly, if you turn on a television today, and it doesn't even have to be the news, if you turn on just any kind of silly drama or comedy, comedy show, you're almost, you're very likely um, to see conservatives denigrated and progressives elevated and, and glorified. And I think this has um, real implications for how our society is um, developed, uh, what kind of how people want to think about themselves, and really for our political conversations. It's not just hurting conservatives. I really believe that it's hurting our entire political discourse by making people, um, you know, more rancorous, have less, uh, more dis distrust. So I think it's really something that, just as we know that it didn't just progressive or white privilege didn't just hurt those who aren't white, it really kind of closed our eyes to to the rich culture and, and all the, the people of value around us. In the same way, we're turning off by, by by marginalizing conservatives or putting good ideas to the side that really could help us and make us have better conversations and and um, and a really a healthier culture. You know, this uh, pervasive, what you're describing, progressive privilege is really pervasive in our society. At the beginning of your book, you make a, a just a very brief list. You're saying this phenomenon of progressive privilege pervades art, music, fashion, entertainment, as well as news and political culture. It is, uh, as my dad used to love to say, no truer words were ever spoken. I mean, there was is really a, a uh, just an abundance, once you open your eyes to it, just an overwhelming pressure, uh, a tsunami of presentation in America culture, in American culture, day to day, uh, you know, throughout your day, throughout your life, that the progressive viewpoint on any topic is the normal way to think. It is the way enlightened people think. It is the way real people think. It's the way most people think. So the few who want to say, well, I'm not sure, I think I, I might disagree, you you feel like you're pushing against the, you know, kicking against the pricks. You're, you're fighting is very, very hard to do <laughs> because the truth is, you know, it's an overwhelming uh, exam uh, presentation. You actually uh, gave a great list in your book, and I'll just mention a couple of them, and then you can comment on them. One, you talked about how uh, progressive privilege is evident in the way, as that we mentioned a moment ago, like Glamour, uh, women's magazines, you just expect to see female leaders of progressive causes as positive and aspirational. You don't even think you're going to see leaders of the conservative side in any way in mainstream magazines. Uh, maybe you want to elaborate on that one first, because I was going to run through several on your list. Sure. Yeah, you, you, it is. It's one of those things that you always see. It's um, the airbrush, the beautiful photos, the of of conservative, of progressive leaders um, looking like you know people you want to be, which is the, absolutely the message that is being put pushed by Cosmo and Vogue and Glamour. Um, and you would never see a similar presentation of a of a conservative leader. It just wouldn't happen. I think this is a big impact on um, on young women and on our, our political culture. And on a more substantive uh, note, you know, I, I couldn't agree more, Carrie. On a more substantive note, though, it's really interesting how, because progressivism has kind of tried to lay down the rule that progressive views are the enlightened, the normal, the majority, they are what, what truth is, and so conservative views are not, what ends up happening is you have this feeling, like you mentioned here, when I participate in an apolitical social event. I expect people to make fun of members of my party. When I attend a social event, I recognize it'd be inappropriate or considered socially awkward to bring up my political beliefs. That is true every day in this country, all over the country, and it really is, it's, I'm glad you wrote about it and talked about it and said, because it makes people reading and think, yeah, I feel that way. It was very, very powerful for you to lay that out. 
Well, well, thank you. And I think that it's it's interesting because obviously with the the Trump presidency, um, a lot of these things are now magnified. It's it's much more. Um, the left has been much freer in really making people feel, um, um, you know, reticent. You would know it's very would be it's often considered embarrassing if you wanted to say something positive about the president or the administration or, or the Republican Party generally. But it's really something that's happened for a long time, and I think that's because the left has succeeded in trying to push these labels on conservative women as being kind of throwbacks and, um, you know, anti-working women or having some kind of you know, Stepford wife quality. Yes. Um, and then also just the Republican Party more broadly as being racist, homophobic, um, sexist. And so um, it really has, it's, it's changed and it's it's really not fair. And it makes people feel, I feel like it makes conservatives feel um unfairly treated and it really makes them hunger for somebody like a Donald Trump who is going to come and fight has a appearance of fighting back on their behalf um, they really wanted people to someone who's going to speak out against them so if the left really doesn't like Donald Trump and thinks that he takes it too far well one of the reasons why we have President Trump is because of this progressive privilege and how people felt that they'd been under siege for so long I, I just could not agree more. This is a very important book you wrote. And I, I noticed it's going to be out through Encounter Books. Is the publisher, is yeah. that right? Okay, but yes, it sure can, is. Okay, but people can yeah, get it you, on... You can, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. You can come see us at IWF.org. I should mention, it's really short. It's only about, um, you know, 50. It's less than about 50 pages. It's a real quick read or really a booklet. It's only about six bucks on Amazon. So please come check it out. It's um, And we also have on IWF.org, we're having a list of examples of pro progressive privilege that we see just in our everyday life. Again, the next time you open a woman's magazine, you're going to see see one yourself. If you oh, if you turn on Netflix show, you're probably going to say, oh, gosh, another um, you know, guy who's the a cartoonish conservative who turns out to be, you know, the bad guy or the evil racist who's um, who's immoral and hiding things. You see that so frequently. The latest awards show where you're going to have another lecture from a, a leftist on, um, you know, on politics, but on what's something that's supposed to be apolitical. All those examples of progressive privilege, you're going to be able to see at IWF.org. And we welcome your feedback. Um, to, we're going to have a place where you can offer some examples that you find around you. Okay, that would be fun. That would be fun to be participating in creating exactly. this list. Because you have, your your list here is, I don't know how many pages it is, five or six pages. Excellent, excellent list. Really running yeah. through all the examples you had. So, uh, Carrie Lucas, I love your new book. Thank you so much for writing it. And thanks for joining me. And again, if you give our listeners a name, your organization, and your website. Chris, yes, please. It's Independent Women's Forum. Please come see us at IWF.org. We're also on Facebook at Independent Women's Forum. And this has been such fun. Thanks for the opportunity. So fun to talk with you. Thank you, Carrie Lucas. And folks, I'm telling you, this book, I really encourage you. I actually uh, was able to get a little bit of an advanced copy. And um, I was trying to read it on, on my computer and just um, and type notes for my questions. I finally, there's just so much good in it, I printed out the whole long thing. So you'll love it. And again, these short books, Making Simple Points, are really, really helpful to the political cause and helpful to share with someone you just want to help bring them along. They're not going to read the thick kind of book that some I, I will read or our listeners will read, but you read something short and get people thinking. So again, great thanks to Carrie Lucas and Independent Women's Forum. Well, because we're on the topic today of progressive privilege, I want to run through a few examples of progressive privilege in our country. The, and again, progressive privilege being defined, the unspoken assumption that whatever the progressive viewpoint is on 
any issue there is is presumed to be the normal the normal viewpoint it is presumed to be the accurate one is presumed to be the enlightened one the one enlightened people love and so there is an assumption in the progressive mindset that whatever their view is can be put out there in the arts in literature in books in magazines everywhere because everyone knows that's what's right so the other aspect of this is that if you aren't progressive if you are a better thinker in my view you're a conservative you feel confrontational when you raise what you think because the progressive mindset has tried to make progressive views the norm so like you're the one saying who's kind of you know put, swimming upstream trying to push back against what the left is trying to portray as the the norm of un, uh, normal view the acceptable view of all these issues whatever the, the left-wing view is and if you caught what heather higgins said in that prager video really among women we're about third 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 we're about you know republicans democrats and independents so you're really not in the minority if you're a conservative woman the the media just tries to make you think you are important to speak up but i'm going to give you a few examples first one i want to start with today uh, has to do with the uh, national education association the nea it's the largest teachers union in the country it's the largest union in the country it has three million members largest union in the country nea had their meeting recently and some national meeting and they put out as business in their their publication to the public business item 56 the nea will honor the leadership of women, non-binary and trans people and other survivors who've come forward to publicly name their rapists and attackers in the growing international Me Too movement. Furthermore, the NEA will include an assertion of our defense of a woman's right to control their own body, especially for women, youth and sexually marginalized people. The NEA vigorously opposes all attacks on the right to choose and stands on the fundamental right to abortion under Roe versus Wade. Okay. Last time I checked, the NEA's job is to train teachers to inspire them, to lead them so they can become better teachers in the public schools. So those kids end up finishing public school, finishing high school, able to read, write, calculate, use basic math, know some history, know some science, biology, chemistry. The NEA, of all the things I could have been talking about, all the failing schools in our country, the NEA went out of their way to make a statement they are calling abortion a fundamental right, which is contrary to about half of the opinion, half of America's viewpoints. And they're also calling out, they're standing up in favor of uh, transgenderism. Um, they are uh, just, they're, they're embracing left-wing views. And again, progressive privilege, embracing left-wing views as the norm. This is an example of progressive privilege. They didn't have to say anything at their national NEA meeting about any of these issues, about transgenderism and Me Too and abortion, but that progressive privilege mindset, because what progressives think is X, it's okay to say it and to put it out there, and it's a defiant kind of statement to America. This is where the teachers stand, and you're wrong if you don't agree with us. So progressive privilege on display. Next example of progressive privilege, in fact, we were talking a moment ago with Carrie Lucas of the Independent Women's Forum. She mentioned a magazine just kind of in passing, Teen Vogue. Um, Vogue, by the way, I'm not a, maybe obviously I'm not a fashionista, but Vogue magazine is a fashion magazine. There's a teen version. The teen version actually stopped printing their physical paper in December of 2017 and began being just online. But Teen Vogue is as indoctrinating, t 
to your teenagers who may be checking in to figure out the latest fashions, latest, you know, whatever it is, shoes and hairstyles and clothing and all the things they would feature. And they're also getting a very heavy dose of Marxist leftist views. And by the way, if you think it's not persuasive, this, this magazine, this online magazine in January, 2017, the, the uh, magazine's website had um, 7.9 million U.S. visitors, 7.9 million teenagers going to Teen Vogue online. And the things I want to just share with you, first of all, the content of Teen Vogue is so Marxist that in an international meeting of socialist, communists, and far leftists, which a member of the America's Democrat Socialists of America attended, they were at this international meeting last month praising Teen Vogue for indoctrinating American youth related to left-wing uh, viewpoints on every conceivable subject. They go through socialism, they go through the, um, they quote Marxist writers and self-proclaimed communists. Um, they, they praise rebuilding a culture of revolt, tearing down individualist ideas. These people putting out Teen Vogue are radical leftist Marxists and putting out Teen Vogue to teenagers to persuade them. And these teenagers aren't being told anything like, you know, there are other viewpoints. You don't really have to see the world this way. Same thing with unhealthy values. They, they, to finish on the economic values, Teen Vogue rails on capitalism, mocks capitalism and derides it. They also, uh, share things with their girls, teenage girls, reading articles like what I wish I knew before having sex for the first time. And I'm sorry if your teenagers listening to this may not be for you. Everything you need to know about anal sex. They had a wellness section discussing masturbation. Uh, they had a um, career uh, segment in Teen Vogue talking about why sex work is for real. Uh, they talk about Karl Marx, is real revolution possible? This is a radically leftist mindset, radically leftist uh, writers, editors of Teen Vogue, and again, the progressive privilege, the notion that their views are so normal, they're not putting them out with a label, they're not putting them out saying, hey, you know, we're radical leftists, this isn't what America is, but we are, we are revolutionaries. They are slipping this into Teen Vogue and having young teenagers who hopefully have parents who taught them a little, or schools who taught them a little bit better, but your daughter, your nieces, your young teenage friends are getting a, an earful of radical Marxism visiting Teen Vogue. And again, it goes back to this progressive privilege, this assumption that progressive views are right, the only views that are right. So why shouldn't they be filling the pages of Teen Vogue magazine? Next example I want to hit related to the just relentless push of the American left, this progressive privilege idea has to do with Starbucks. Now. Starbucks itself, the corporation, is you know ex exceedingly liberal. People know this. They you know they have liberal causes. They they have liberal you know board. Okay, you know they're allowed to because this is America. They can do that. But Starbucks had an incident in Tempe, Arizona, just outside of um, it's outside of Phoenix, I think. Yeah, Tempe, Arizona, where they had uh, these police officers. Six police officers came into the Starbucks in Tempe, Arizona, uh, before their shift started. They got a cup of coffee. They're standing around Starbucks talking before their shift started. An employee of Starbucks walked up to them and said, excuse me, but your presence 
is making a customer over here, undescribed customer, customer over here, feel unsafe. I'm going to have to ask you to move or leave. So the police officers left, which, you know, I mean, there was no crime occurring. They don't have to be in there, but their customers, they pay for the coffee. But this Starbucks employee chased them out because a customer felt unsafe. To be fair to the Tempe Starbucks management, the management of that Starbucks has reached out to the Tempe Police Department. They've had at least two meetings. They had one, they put an apology out. They said they were really sorry. They're very grateful for the presence of the Police Department in Tempe to keep them safe. They're very grateful for the, uh, you know, the hard work that police do. They take risks every day. You know, very, very nice statement. They had a follow-up meeting the next day. So I think some people were saying that it was an insincere apology by the Starbucks. I didn't get that sense. I read enough about it to think, you know, the, the management was embarrassed. But the progressive privilege point is this. This young person, and actually I'm just assuming that this star, this barista from Starbucks was young, I don't know, but this person at Starbucks who chased the police out of the Starbucks because it made a customer feel uncomfortable is a victim and also an aggressor using his progressive privilege mindset. Progressives constantly demean the police. Progressives constantly try to tell America that police are dangerous, that police are unpredictable, that police are harmful, that police are doing bad things to our society. There is a relentless effort on the American left to present police as harmful, racist, horrible people. And there is a similar thing on the left, and a related idea on the progressive mindset, which is, of course, that no one should ever have to feel unsafe. This idiocy that got introduced in the college campus mindset in the, the entire country in academia, where in colleges, young people were encouraged to speak up to say they felt unsafe. So if you feel unsafe because some professor is discussing the Holocaust and it makes you a upset to think about that the Holocaust occurred and you feel unsafe and upset, then you can say, I can't stay for this lecture. I can't listen to this. I can't hear this thing you're describing because I feel unsafe. And these idiotic colleges humored that instead of saying to students, you know what? You're here for college. You're here to grow up. You're here to participate in a robust debate of ideas on the American college campuses. And you know what? You just got to get over it if you feel a little bit unsafe. But this barista, has taken in the mindset both of, if someone feels unsafe, the answer is never to say to the person feeling unsafe, grow up, shape up, you know, man up, you gotta, woman up, you gotta listen, or you, you, or you have to stay here, or if you don't like it, you can leave. It was his worldview, Barisa's worldview is, you humor the person who's off on this, I feel unsafe. Secondly, He's, uh, this barista is honoring the progressive privilege idea because he's going with, well, naturally, they're police officers. Why wouldn't we feel unsafe? The idiocy, it'd be like the safest place to be in Tempe, Arizona, to be in a Starbucks with six police officers. But this young person felt perfectly comfortable telling the police to leave because some moronic customer said, I feel unsafe. And frankly, there's a lot of speculation whether the customer even existed, whether the barista just did this on, on their own just because they didn't, they wanted to be able to show how tough they were, they could make these police officers leave. But again, as an example of this progressive privilege mindset, wheat snaking its way into America's culture, where even 
in a in a Starbucks at a work morning in Tempe, Arizona, the progressive privilege decides police might be unsafe, they have to leave. And on the final story, and this is actually this actually crosses the line or goes beyond merely progressive privilege, but to what we're seeing in the American left, which is outright censorship of any views that you don't like to have to listen to. And in particular, I wanted to talk about in the last um, segment on the show related to progressive privilege is what's happened to my friend, Ann Corcoran. Ann Corcoran founded she she's a woman living in Maryland, was living in Maryland, and uh, she she became aware of a large number of refugees in an, in some town near her hometown, having been resettled there, became interested and began investigating the refugee resettlement program. She ultimately wrote, uh, created a website, Refugee Resettlement Watch. And I, I've met this woman. I've actually had her. She's been in our home uh, years and years ago, spoke at an event we held in our home. But she is a you know, she's not a rabble-rouser. She's not an activist. I mean, she's an activist. She's not a strident. She's a very, you know, genteel and gentle-spoken person saying, I'm a little concerned about the refugee resettlement program in America. Let me tell you what's happening. So she investigated the organizations that pay, uh, that are paid by the federal government to resettle refugees. So she realized how much money these essentially seven VOLOGs, they use the expression VOLOGs, volunteer agencies, how much money they're paid by the federal government to settle refugees around our country, uh, who's making the decisions of which refugees come to America. The answer you'd hope was Congress, but it's not. It's largely the United Nations deciding which refugees go to which countries. And she was exposing the danger to America's communities by having large number of refugees resettled here um, who may not be amenable to in any degree becoming part of American culture and society. It was a, her website, very fact-based, very you know, story-based. Here's what happened, here's my research, here's the money I, I learned about, here's the statement. I, she's an activist trying to raise awareness of saying the American public should be aware of the refugee resettlement program and we should be aware whether we're bringing people here who mean us harm. Do we have sufficient safeguards around the system of who's coming here? It's a very fact-based you know, uh, website. So she had Refugee Resettlement Watch. She had it up for years, and um, 12 years, I think it was. And she discovered, uh, I think it was last week, that WordPress, the uh, Many people make their own websites to have uh, use WordPress because it's pretty simple to use if you're not a computer guru. So WordPress took down her website called Refugee Resettlement Watch. Uh, it was uh, refugee res yeah refugee resettlement watch .com. She had uh, one of her you know some fan of hers. Someone wanted to go to the website to read something. Realized the website was taken down. When you try to go to it, it says refugee resettlement watch .com is no longer available. So she contacted WordPress to essentially say, why is my website taken down? Is there a problem here? Did I fail to communicate something? And basically got a, a, an email back from WordPress saying, Upon review of your WordPress.com site, we have determined that your content does not align with our terms of service or user guidelines. As stated in our terms, we may choose to stop providing service to an account at any reason, for any reason, at any time, for any reason, or none at all. 
Basically, they told her she had two weeks to download her content to get it out of there, but they took her website down. And when she pressed and said, what is it? What specifically is it on my website that violated your terms of service, violated you know, the, the, your user guidelines? And she just got a redundant email back just saying you're not allowed to violate our user guidelines. Again, progressive privilege mindset. On the American left, there is a just robust effort to bring more and more refugees to America through refugee resettlement, through letting them come across the southern border because we don't enforce our southern border, having them show up at our, in our country. And then we have asylum seekers who then are lost in the morass of, the, of our system. Some end up being in uh, let go and making their way to sanctuary cities or states never to be heard of again. I mean, this is the left wing mindset that says we don't really care about citizenship. We don't really care about borders. We don't really care about the American culture and identity. Anybody can come all the time. Her website did not engage in, in name calling, vindictiveness, uh, poor language, indiscreet remarks. It was very substantive, serious reporting of the refugee situation. And they took her website down because her website telling the facts, encouraging people to be aware, maybe you want to do something about this, maybe you want to speak up, maybe we should review this, maybe we should you know, try to call attention to these VOLAGs, you're getting millions of dollars reselling refugees here. And once they are resettled, by the way, one reason she called attention to the VOLAGs, once these re refugees are resettled, most of VOLAGs say, okay, have a great life, and they're gone. There's no helping them along like you would think they would do if they actually were acting out of pure compassion. They're making money. I'm not saying they don't have compassion also, but they're making money and there's their stick-to-itiveness. They're, they're sticking with the group and helping them long-term. Doesn't seem to be there. So another example of progressive privilege where the left-wing mindset that says we never, ever, ever, ever question our refugees is what won the day and Ann Corcoran's website was taken down. It is up somewhere else. I'm gonna find it and let you know where it is. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I want to turn this final segment, a very brief segment, to share with you why the stories I've been talking about today matter to you. First, on this census question update, an Obama-appointed federal judge blocked the DOJ from internal reassignment of legal staff addressing the census and also demanded written explanations from each lawyer if any further change is sought. And I just want to posit this question. What if the reason Attorney General Barr had for making the requested change is not because the lawyers got tired of being on the case, but because Barr perceived they weren't working hard to win the case. He wants to move the case over, which is what I think is the case. He wanted to move the case over to people who would actually fight to defend the government's position and keep that question in the census. So what if the reason for the requested change is to fight Trump derangement syndrome, deep state opposition? The TDS era, Trump derangement syndrome, fueled by the mainstream media, has engulfed the legal system, and the only law seems to be Trump is bad, Trump should not be president. Everything Trump does must be blocked because A and B. This is heading toward a constitutional crisis, and I do mean that. I don't wish it, but I'm telling you it's coming. The judiciary is not the superior branch of government. On Independent Women's Forum, on a great visit uh, today with Carrie Lucas, women and progressive privilege. Progressive privilege, the assumption that progressive ideas are the only right ones and that conservative ideas are second rate or bad or worse is all around us. Many in the media, magazines, entertainment, education operate on the 
all women are leftist worldview, and that shuts down intelligent debate and belittles millions of women. Check out Independent Women's Forum website, IWF.org. See the Prager video. Read their research. It's wonderful. Recognize and call out progressive privilege in everyday life. Women are entitled to be treated as thinking individuals and on progressive privilege and the rest of the, the stories we had today. Teen Vogue magazine, a beauty fashion magazine for teens, regularly includes socialist Marxist advice on the right way to think. Privileged assumption is that leftism is the only way to think. Beware and oppose it. Teachers unions, the NEA, announced that abortion is a fundamental right despite millions of Americans, including women, opposed to it. Encourage teachers not to join NEA. What does this have to do anyway with public school teaching and finally on progressive privilege? Starbucks, Tempe, Arizona, local management, okay with cops or bad, although they, as I say, they squared things away. Okay to demand six police officers leave the premises because another customer feels unsafe. The default attitude is always politically correct progressivism. And finally, on WordPress, shutting down a website on refugee resettlement policies for no reason, except they don't like those policies. This is brute force, progressive censorship, again, because they can. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. I encourage you to speak up for this precious, extraordinary country, this unique in all of world history experiment in human liberty. And tune in every day, listen to my show, because I do speak up for America, because America matters. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-